Lauren, welcome to the Compete Everyday Podcast. Thanks for having me. Man, we, I told you when we were setting this up because we ran into technical difficulties and miscommunication on my end that we were down 0-2, but we were still going to hit it out of the park with today's episode. And so I know our listeners are in for quite a treat, but before we kind of dive into things maybe very specific to them, I'd love for you to give a little background on what you do today. And honestly, I'm just fascinated how you got here. Awesome. Well, that's a fun story to tell. So I'm happy to tell it. Um, so yeah, so what my current title is, is I'm the mental conditioning coordinator for the New York Yankees. I am one of six uh, people on the mental conditioning staff. So I'm certainly, I certainly don't do this alone. Um, and I came into an already well-oiled machine. So um, I was very lucky for that. But to kind of tell you about how I got to where I was, um, I mean, I played sports my whole life. So I knew I wanted to work in sport because I think, and I played soccer. And so not even, not even close to baseball, but um, I think the reason why I loved sports so much is because it challenged me and at, at one point, and then there was also this enjoyable part of it. And there was a part that I really enjoyed in terms of the challenge. Like I liked maybe operating just on the edge of my comfort zone. Like I wasn't really sure what the outcome was. And so I think that's what drew me to sports so much. And I played soccer all through college and it was my senior year of college. Um, third game into my senior year after I'd come back from my fourth concussion. And I ended up receiving my fifth one that game. And I was pretty devastated, but my neurologist told me, he's like, Lauren, it's, it's not safe for you to play anymore. And um, I knew that that was the right decision. So I had to make it. And I ended up taking a sports psych class as an, as like a, a elective course, because I had a little bit of extra time. And I ended up taking this course and originally I wanted to be a physical therapist. So I took this course and I was like, holy crap, I didn't even know this existed. Like, this is awesome. And I fell completely in love with it. And I ended up interviewing for one of my assignments in this course, I ended up interviewing the director of my master's program, Dr. Sarah Castillo. And we were only supposed to meet for like 30 minutes. We ended up talking for hours. And by the end of our talk, she's like, do you want to be a part of my master or master's program? And I was like, yes, yes. So that was the day I decided I wanted to go into sports psychology. And since then, I, I, you know, I, I went through my program, I graduated, and I, I graduated with two job offers on the table. I mean, I felt so lucky. I was on cloud nine. That's what every grad student dreams of, is having like a job, let alone options. So I kind of sat down and I had to figure out which one was going to be best for my career. And I said no to one and yes to another. And the one I said yes to, it took about six months to get placed for this position, which was totally normal. So I was like, okay, that's fine. I get another summer before the real world. And six months goes by and I don't hear anything. And I was like, huh, this is weird. So I reach out and I send an email and I said, hey, you know, just checking in to see, you know, when, uh, when I'm going to be placed. And they email me back and they say, um, Lauren, we're sorry, the job's no longer available. Wow. And I was devastated. I was like, what do you mean? Here, here I am, I came out of grad school with two job offers. And six months later, I'm sitting with none. The job that I could have taken, the other job, was already filled by this point. They weren't looking for anybody else. And now the job that I thought I had and was told that I had was taken right out from underneath me. And so I was pretty devastated, but I, and I looked through all of my options, reached out to all of my people, and there was nothing available. And nobody was looking. And uh, once I exhausted all options, I realized I, need, I needed to make money somehow in the short term. So I decided to get a job at Starbucks. And um, so I was working at Starbucks one day, 
And this day changed my entire trajectory of my career. I was working the drive-through and this guy pulls up in the window and I was chatting with him as his drink was being made. And he goes, uh, you know, so are you going to school? And it was a normal question because most people were. And I was like, no, actually I just graduated. He's like, oh, with what? I said, oh, I got my degree in performance psychology. And he just starts laughing at me. Like full on belly laughing, like can't catch his breath laughing. And I am like so confused that I finally asked him, I was like, what's so funny? And he goes, oh, <laughs> you got one of those degrees that you're never going to use. Oh, man, not and where I thought that story was going. My jaw just dropped. I mean, I was mad. I was pissed. I thought he was rude. I wanted to throw his coffee in his face. I didn't. I actually made somebody else hand it to him because I was too mad to hand it to him. <laughs> and then the rest of the day, I just kept replaying this story in my head over and over and getting more angry and more angry. And I like thought to myself, I was like, what does this guy's opinion, like what, he doesn't matter. You don't even know him. He doesn't even know you. Like, why is this getting to you so much? And that's kind of when I had this light bulb moment. I realized I wasn't mad because he was rude. I was mad because he was right. Here I am wanting to coach people through adversity. And I turned around at the first sign of it. How am I going to be a good mental coach and tell somebody what to do to keep going, to push through, to find an alternate path when I couldn't even do that myself? I was sitting here comfortable at Starbucks. I wasn't pursuing something else. I wasn't pursuing another path. I looked at all my options and goes, oh, well, there are none. Okay, I'll settle for this. And so that was the very day that I Googled how to start a consulting company. And I opened up my own consulting company had no idea what I was doing, figured it out along the way. And I did a lot of stuff for free. I cold called a ton. I got a lot of no's, a lot of people that never got back to me. And after a year's time, I built up a good enough company to sustain myself. And that's when I got an opportunity with the Yankees and I got the job and I've been with them now for four years. That's awesome. I love, and I love that there's so many pieces of that that I kind of want to dive back into. One of which that I know you probably deal with quite a bit working with professional athletes is that those of us that have played sports, we, most of us, I'll say, tend to have a problem of placing our identity with what we play. And for someone in your position, there sounded like there were two pivotal points of the athletic career ended. So there's already the natural grappling, grappling of, oh, I'm not a soccer player anymore. Like what, who am I? What am I? And then when you got your degree and there were no jobs, the job you thought you were going to have was suddenly gone. You don't have jobs. And then it's the, well, I thought this was what I was going to do for the rest of my life. What am I? Who am I now? Where's my worth? And so for someone that was kind of going through those stages yourself, and now obviously working with athletes that maybe don't make it to the majors or their careers cut short, or they just age out, how do you help people? I guess, where's a good starting point for people to kind of get their perspective off of what they do and more into who they are? Well, it's interesting because they're kind of interchangeable. It doesn't work in one direction. They can work in many directions. And I didn't learn this until a little bit later on. And like you're saying, as I was kind of going through the process and had the ability to look back and go, oh, I, I get it now. And this actually happened with one of my athletes. Um, many years ago, I was working with this team and I get there and I, I have a pretty good relationship with everybody on the team, except 
for whatever reason, this one guy, I would ask him, you know, I'd, I'd try and talk with him, whatever it was in the dugout. And for whatever reason, it was like one word answers. And you could tell body language got all like kind of, uh, you know, he clammed up. He would like, his shoulders would turn. He put his head down and I'm like, man, but then with his friends, he was, you know, shoulders are back. He's laughing and he's, you know, speaking a lot. So I was, I was kind of confused. And at first I immediately always think I need to put in more work on the relationship side of things. If that's a response that I get, but I had been around this player for a long time. So I was a little like, huh, maybe, maybe not. Well, one day, um, you know, the batting practice is about to start, you know, we're about 15 minutes early and I walk over there and he's there by himself. And so probably like his worst <laughs> case scenario, he's like, Oh, Lauren and I by ourselves. <laughs> like I have to actually talk to her. So I finally, like I asked him, I just said, you know, Hey, can I ask you a question? And he's like, sure. I said, you know, why is it when I ask you anything or try and, you know, have a conversation with you, you're, you're really short. Like, is there something that I did or that I said that I should be aware of? And he kind of looks down and he's like, no, um, no, that's not it. And I, he goes, I just don't really like to speak. I don't think I'm very good at it. And so we had a meeting later on and we dove a little bit more into it. And I was like, who told you that? Like, you remember the first time you had this thought? And like, he kind of sat back and he had to think for a little bit. He's like, hmm. And then he finally recalls this memory and he goes, I was about, I don't know. He's like, I was in elementary school and I was asked to read something out loud. And I had a really bad stutter. And I was told that I wasn't good at speaking by my teacher. And I guess since then, I just kind of avoid it if I don't have to especially with authority. And so what we need to pay attention to is that his belief was that I am not good at speaking. And then his action, his behavior was every single time he was asked to speak or was put in a conversation, he would not speak. And that equaled his identity. So our belief plus our behaviors equals our identity. But see, the opposite is also true. So if we want to, depending on who we want to be. So if I want to be somebody that is good at speaking, then our behaviors have to support that. And so if we, I want to be good at speaking, that means that we have to start practicing and speaking more often. That then equals the belief that I am a good speaker. And so our identity doesn't just have to fall in one direction that if I do this, that means that. It goes, no, we can say who it is that we want to be. If this is the person I want to be, if this is the athlete, if this is the businessman or woman, if this is the student I want to be, then what actions support that identity, that desired identity? And as we act in that way, we start to believe it. Oh, you're so this is exactly what happened with this athlete. And we worked through this. And we're like, what kind of speaker do you want to be? <laughs> and I said, so you know what the next thing you have to do is? He's like, oh, I got to speak, don't I? I'm like, yeah. But he is now incredibly good at it. And he's willing to now stand up, answer questions in all of our sessions, which before he would just have his head down and be like, please don't call him. Well, and, and I love that because you've got this player that most people would probably watch or see and just think, you know, they have it all together. But one instance growing up, it has kind of impacted how they saw themselves in a certain light. But in that same token, they have the ability to rewrite that. And, you know, one of the things that I think this year and all the challenges this year is thrown with a lot of people spending more time at home, as chaotic as that can be for some people, is create space to ask yourself, are the things you're doing on a daily basis actually align with the person that you want to be? 
And who do you actually want to be? And if not, what are you changing in your day-to-day choices? Uh, our, I think our mutual friend, James Leith, uh, laughed about it with me of like talking on the show about, are you making the choices today of the person that you would want to become? Like whoever that is, you don't have to believe you're them today, but if you want to be there, are you making those choices? And that's something every one of us can do is just starting. Do you, do you usually encourage if that's kind of it, if it's like, Hey, here's where I am, but here's kind of where I want to go is just to really sit down and write down outline. Like, so you have a target of something to aim at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the one thing I know about athletes is like, they struggle without a target in a direction and that's just not for athletes. That's for everybody. It's kind of like, if you know, you want to go to the grocery store, that's good because you know that you want to find a grocery store. Now, if you have directions, that's even better because we cut out so many extra steps that we might take if we didn't know where we were going. And so if you want to, if you want to go somewhere, if you have a goal, that's great. We first have to start begin with the end in mind, you know, where, where is that? We, where exactly do we want to go? And the more clear we can become with that, the better it is, the better we can then build our path to it. But it doesn't have to be exact. We can also figure that stuff out along the way. But sometimes I like to call it time traveling is time travel a couple years ahead and think about like where, if you woke up one day, what would your day look like? If it was exactly the way you wanted it to be, what would your morning look like? What would your morning routine look like? What house would you wake up in? What car would you be driving? What would you be wearing? How much money would you be making? And really think and time travel ahead. What would your life be like? And then subtract it by a year. What would that look like? And then let's get back to right now. What is it? What are the things that we need to do that will help move the needle forward to get us in that direction? Love that. I love that. One of the things I'm just interested by that I always love asking people that, that grew up playing sports is looking back now, knowing what you know about mental performance, sports psychology, looking back at, at college aged you that played soccer. What's the one thing that you're like, if I just known this skill that like anytime you see an athlete struggle in that area, like it's near and dear. Cause you're like, I wish I'd had this at your age. What is it? I think it's the understanding that mental toughness isn't just about what you do. It's about how you respond. I think that I always thought like, I shouldn't be nervous. I shouldn't feel fear. I should feel confident. And when I thought that when, when my expectation didn't meet my reality, I thought there was something wrong. Like I hadn't done enough where what I do realize is that we, it's crazy to live a life without like, it's, it's impossible to live a life without feeling nervous, to live a life without fear, to live a life without, you know, days where you don't have confidence. But it's not necessarily about not having those things or lack of those things. It's about our choosing our response to them. And so building our relationship with those things. So I don't look at nerves as a bad thing anymore. I look at how I can build my relationship with it. Nerves are gonna happen. So how do I manage them when they do? Fear is gonna happen. How do I manage that when I do? When I don't feel confident, shoot, that's going to happen. What do I do when that happens? That, the response to those things, I think is so important. And I tried so hard to be perfect. And that included all those things. I thought nerves was a bad thing. And I wasn't ready or I didn't put in enough work. And that's just so not the truth. I'm interested along those lines because sometimes exactly off of what you just said, fear can, can be that motivator to push us to prepare harder because we want to perform in that moment. But at the same time, when we get to that moment, if we feel fear, then we are almost underconfident. 
um, in, in our ability in that moment of like, I've done these swings, you know, I'm walking up to the plate or I'm walking onto stage to give this presentation. I've prepared, I've prepared, but why do I still have these feelings in my stomach? And so what, what you're saying in all that is that's 100% natural, but do we choose to walk on that stage and, and just give our best to perform in that moment? Or do we let that sink away and we create an excuse? That response is really what judges our mental toughness and how we can build it. Absolutely. I, I could not agree more. And I think, I think when we feel those things, to me, I call it like our growth zone. It's our optimal state of like stress and anxiety, which I mean, I'm sure you know that some of the research with Yerkes and Dodson, it's like that optimal state of anxiety. And it's right outside of our comfort zone. You can't grow and be comfortable at the same time. And so whenever I'm feeling those things, I just remind myself, you're in the growth zone. The growth zone is not comfortable. But the things that are uncomfortable, but we know are good for them, lean into those. Because when we do, we rewire our brain to seek discomfort instead of avoid it. But the good kind, right? The good kind yeah. that is better, that has the thing that we want on the other side of it. That's why we put ourselves to those things, not because necessarily we all enjoy it or like it, some of us do, but because what we want is on the other side of it. Well, and, and the easy road rarely takes us anywhere that makes us proud. So, so leaning into that discomfort and the beauty of, of kind of those nerves and fear means there's something at stake. There's something on the line, whether it's to us or, or to a lot larger audience. And, and what greater opportunity than being involved with something that matters, like knowing that your actions matter, because I think so many people today just kind of float in and out of life thinking, well, not a big deal what I do. But those moments when we have those nerves because there's something at stake, it kind of makes us more alive. You feel more alive and, and you grow, which is exciting. Oh, and I, I heard this somewhere. I can't remember where, but I think of it all the time. I do not want to arrive safely at my death. And I heard this and I was like, I don't want to arrive when I'm like comfortable. Everything's good. Like I want to arrive taking risk, taking on challenge, putting myself in situations that make me better, not just comfortable. And I, I, I don't know why I've always been like that. I love that. And it's not just about like the thrill of it or the risk of it, but cause I want to see how far I can go. And yeah. to me, that's, that's like, whenever I think of, whenever I get uncomfortable, because I get uncomfortable, I get fearful. I second guess myself. I feel self-doubt. And when I feel that I think about, I often think about what I regret. And I would, and I always think that at the end of my life, would I regret taking the chance or not having taken it? Like taking the chance and failing or not having taken it at all. And for me, it would be never taking it at all because I think that failure is such a great opportunity to continue to grow and to come back with a second attempt. Without a doubt. And, and that, I mean, that's a message that I, I preach religiously around this idea of ending on empty, of, of just exhausting everything in the pursuit, leaving nothing back. And, and your quote, I absolutely, the quote you just talked about, I love it. It reminded me of John Acuff, who's a, a speaker and author, said, leave the, uh, the grave digger nothing but empty, dried up bones exhausting everything in that pursuit. And so I, I love that because you're right. So many of us, we play this what if game in our heads and we don't take action. And if we were to look back 10, 20, 30 years from now, and I'm the same way, looking back the last 10, 15, 20 years, it's the things I didn't do, not the failures I had. It was the, the risk that I was too afraid to make a move that I regret, not the, hey, I tried this and it just didn't work out. I love that. And one of the things that we just kind of hit on briefly is talking mental toughness and how we respond to it. One of the things I saw you posted on Instagram today that I just loved is mental toughness. Uh, the secret to building mental toughness is daily practice. 
And for some people listening, they may think, well, how am I supposed to practice something like mental toughness daily? They, they hear guys like David Goggins. They, they hear all these crazy, like, I can't go run 20 miles today. And I can't, you know, face death defying odds. How am I supposed to be mentally tougher? But based on what you just said, it's looking for opportunities of discomfort that are actually good for us. Right? Mm-hmm. It, no, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And I've always said that mentally tough people, they're not more talented. They're just more consistent. And that comes down to practicing on a daily basis. If you like the, the long way to mental toughness is only using it when you're, it's only practicing it when you need it. The short way there's the shortcut, I guess I should say, which isn't really a shortcut, but you get my point is by practicing it daily, regardless if you need it or not. Like you don't just practice your skills, you know, in, in terms of, you don't just practice being a baseball player, you know, just when you, just before you have a game. No, you practice all the time because you know that there's going to be a time when you're going to need it. And that's the same way with mental toughness. If you don't practice how to manage adversity, it's not going to happen under pressure. If you don't practice how to manage negative thinking, negative thoughts, and fear in your relationship with it, no way are you going to be able to come the time to use it. And so if you want to be mentally tough, it's not about... And mental toughness is easy when everything's going well. It's when things aren't going well, that is a true test of your mental toughness. And so if you want to become mentally tough, you have to do it on a daily basis. And I, for myself, that is remaining consistent with my routines, keeping the small promises that I make to myself. And for me, that's like getting a workout in every day. That's following my routine in the morning. That's starting my routine the night before. It's also working on the things that I can control, focusing on those things the things that I can control. I mean, there's a million different ways that we can build mental toughness. And so for each person, it's going to be slightly different, but to really sum it all up, like you said, it's also leaning into those uncomfortable things, leaning into the things that are maybe a little uncomfortable, but you know, are good for you. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things about that, and I'm so glad that you talked about the importance of developing it every day, because you you can't just flip a switch. Like we, we don't, we love to think that certain people have this natural ability and others don't. And those people just flip a switch when they need to. And, and I think this year of all years, because of the challenges, a lot of people mentally got thrown into a tailspin when so much out of their control started impacting their day-to-day life in a way that had never happened before. And I know when I go talk to, you know, my clients and, and we're doing workshops, that's kind of the key point of managers. They're like, they just we don't know how to control our controllables and I wish we could just become mentally tough. And so we laugh like, well, this would have been great two years ago, starting the practice to be ready for when COVID hit, but the second best time is now. So what can we do now going forward? Because as much as we would love to say the rest of the road is going to be easy, it's not unexpected happens. And so what are we doing today on and and going forward every day, just to lean into that discomfort? You mentioned just kind of those little commitments you have to yourself every single day between workouts and, and keeping, you know, your word and things like that. Do you have like a daily tracker where you track things? And the reason I ask is I've got like a little scorecard that I, I have like seven things every single day that are kind of my daily processes that I just try to check the box. And if I don't, I, I try to re, you know, figure out why didn't I and what can I do tomorrow? How do you keep those little commitments to yourself? Are you tracking them every day? Is it kind of just, by now it's just second nature that I go this, this, this throughout the day? Yeah, so part of it's second nature. It's like my routine. I do my routine every single morning, but I also have what I call a rep tracker because I think that we build mental toughness one rep at a time. No difference than, you know, if you were to go in the gym and build muscle. 
It's one rep at a time. And so it doesn't have to be this huge grandiose thing. It's like we can chop it down to these little tiny things and just make sure you're putting in the reps every day. So that's my rep tracker. And I pretty much have like a list of the things I want to do and then the days in which I want to do them. And so I'll keep track of, of myself doing them throughout those days. And I, I even do that sometimes with some of my clients and I'll have them kind of grade them in different colors. And so that we can see, okay, did you do it to the best of your ability? Did you do it just okay? Like you didn't have a lot in the tank, but you still got it done or did you not do it at all? And they'll kind of grade themselves on that day uh, based on that. And we do lots of different categories. So it's not just on the mental side. It's also on the physical side, just on the nutrition side, because what we do know is that our mind and body is, is connected. And so it's not just important. You can't just have mental toughness and be successful. You have to have all the other things too. And so it's one piece of the puzzle, but it, it is one of those foundational things that when your foundation is strong, the level of everything you do will rise. I love that. I love that. Lauren, uh, one, thank you incredibly for spending time today. Before we wrap up, I kind of want to ask one last question about baseball is a game of, of streaks. You have hitting streaks, you have slumps, you have, you know, winning streaks. You sometimes have losing streaks. We, we all kind of go through the nature of that day to day on a life basis. When we've got our rep sheet or our little scorecard, we can sometimes start to see that negative streak. We miss a workout one day. Well, then one becomes two and two becomes three. And it's really easy at that point for a lot of people to start to check out. I'll wait till January 1st. I'll quit and go again next month, whatever the case may be. What is just kind of, if you could distill one piece of encouragement, motivation for someone that starts to get in that losing streak about how do you change that? Well, that I always say this, I, I have this question, actually, somebody asked me this the other day. And I always say that if you want to change your past, change your present, If you want to change your future, or if you want a better future, change your present, If you want to change your present, change your present. Everything we do exists in the present moment. Our mind is the only thing able to exist in all three, the past, present and the future. But if you want to change, like right now, then you got to change right now. You've got to decide and recommit. And so what I always say is that the best athletes, it's not that they never make mistakes. They do. They do miss workouts. They do struggle to like stick with their journal. They do struggle with losing. They do have a hard time. But the difference is while some people's ups and downs look like this, they're really, there's a lot of space in between their ups and downs look like this. There's only a little bit of space between. So it's not necessarily about not making mistakes, but your bounce back. That does matter. And so if you are feeling like I am, oh, I am, uh, you know, in a slump right now, I'm in a rut, go back to the things that work. What are the things that bring success? I know for me, sometimes it's drinking a glass of water because hydration's not like my best skill. And so I do know that sometimes I need to drink water. Um, other times it's going back to your routine. Other times it's making sure that you get back on your workout, whatever it is. And I always have this rule of try not to make the same mistake twice. If you miss a if you eat bad, but your goal is to stay uh, stay on like your, your nutrition plan, then your next meal, make sure that you're, you're back on it. If you miss a workout, your next day, don't miss that workout. Because one mistake is no big deal. Two, now we're building a habit in the opposite direction. Oh, I love that. Wow. And that final piece means I definitely need to interview you for my next book, which is called When the Next. So we love are it. speaking shared language here. Lauren, thank you incredibly for coming on the show today. For people to get connected and follow along, you put out some incredible content on social media. Where's the best place to connect with you? 
Honestly, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Instagram is at Lauren Nicole Johnson. Twitter is at underscore Lauren Johnson underscore. And then LinkedIn, um, I don't know, Lauren Johnson. <laughs> we will link to, we will find them. We will link to all three for the listeners. You guys definitely need to follow Lauren, put into practice all of these things we talked about on the daily basis and just start building. Lauren, thank you so much for hanging out this week. Thank you so much for having me.